welcome everyone. Um, if you're standing in the back, there's some seats in the front if you want to make your way. Um, if you're here for the very first time and you're an awkward newcomer, uh, my name is Dave. Um, one of the pastors here. How many awkward newcomers do we have? Nobody's raising their hand. So you guys are all super awkward. But uh, thank you for uh, that testimony, Jin Young. Uh, she really is one of the embodiments of Embrace in our community. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who made last night's Thanksgiving celebration possible. Can we just say thank you to everyone who put in all the work <clears throat> to make that happen? It was such a grand celebration. It was one of the great things, I think, of our community um, last night. And I really do think the Lord is doing something special in our community. Actually, I switched my sermon order around a little bit in response to what the Spirit is doing in our church because I think it's pretty obvious that he's speaking to us very deeply about community. Um, it's something that is obviously right in front of our face, and he is uh, working to change the culture of our church through embracers like Jun Young and others. And it's Thanksgiving week this week, and this week we have the ability uh, to embrace one another into this community. Um, in fact, uh, Jin Young's testimony reminded uh, Pastor Andre on, on Friday about um, a quote from Bonhoeffer, who said this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. The person who loves their dream about community will destroy community, but the person who loves will create community. And what he means by that is sometimes we get so wrapped up in the ideal church or in the ideal community that we want. And when we, get, when we fall too much in love with the idea of community and not the actual people in the community, we end up destroying the community because we start judging each other that we're not like this ideal. We're not like this uh, dream that we have of our community. And we start judging each other and we start destroying community. But those who actually choose to just love the people in the community, those are the people who actually start to make community um, in the church. And today, as we continue in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, um, the author of Hebrews tells us how to press forward uh, into community. And I want to use Jin Young's testimony as a springboard into deeper community. The author of Hebrews tells us that we can make a beautiful church uh, for one another. In fact, we are commanded to make a beautiful church for one another. And when we do, the fragrance of Christ, as we sang about today, will fill uh, this home. And so there are three things uh, from today's passage that I want to point out to you, but let's look at Hebrews 10. We're going to look at Hebrews 10, just two verses, 24 and 25. So Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Some of you may have already memorized this, know this already because it's a pretty popular verse, but this is Hebrews 10 <clears throat> as we continue in our series, 24 and 25. This is what the Lord writes to us today. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> out of these two verses, I want to point out three things. Uh, the Lord commands us to stir one another up to love and good works. And secondly, in order to do that, we have to consider how we're going to do that for one another. And lastly, if we're going to consider how we're going to do it, then we need to be tenaciously present with one another. We have to develop a habit of meeting together and not break that habit. Unless we do that, we can't even consider how we can love one another. And when we start to consider how we can love one another, we can 
stir one another up, press each other towards love and good deeds. And so that's what the Lord's going to say to us from these two verses. Let's go to him for prayer. Let's go to him for help. Can I just ask you to take a couple of seconds and just pray before I do and say, Lord, open up my heart to your word. Father, as we look into your word now, we pray that you would make our hearts open to what you have to say, because your word is what we need in this life to move forward, and your word is what we need to be the church that you have called us to be. And so today I pray, open up our hearts to receive the word that comes from above and changes us from inside. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. The first thing he tells us is um, to stir up our community if we want to make our community beautiful. And it starts with this word that, as Jin Young said, causes a little bit of discomfort. It's a word of discomfort. It's not a comfortable word. The call here is to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And if you look at that word, it's actually a painful word, a a discomforting word, because it's that word provoke, word provoke. I had a friend uh, who worked in fashion not too long ago, and she used to tell me, Dave, beauty is pain. Beauty is pain. And what she meant by that, I forget what we were talking about. I think we are talking about why women wear high high heel shoes, high heels. And she was saying, well, to be beautiful is to be in pain. And what she meant by that is that if you want to actually achieve beauty, um, then there needs to be sacrifice and work, right? And I guess that's why women wear high heel shoes, that there is pain in creating beauty. And we see this in this passage as well, that if we want to create a beautiful community, that we have to start with a little bit of discomfort, and we have to be okay with that. The command here is to provoke one another. This word paroxysm is provoke. And if you remember in Acts 17, Paul is in Athens, and he sees all these idols in Athens. And as he's looking at these idols inside of him, he's getting upset or provoked within him. Something is stirring up within him. And usually this word is used to stir up something negative, stir up um, anger or stir up hate. But actually in our passage, it says, let us provoke one another to love. Let us provoke one another to love. Let us discomfort one another in a sense to create these involuntary outbursts of love and good works. That's the call here, that we are actually to disrupt our relationships to do this so that there will be outbursts of love in each other, that there will be outbursts of service and outbursts of encouragement in one another. Now, if you think about that command, it's actually pretty next level because most of us, when we read that, we think that he's calling us to think about how can I love other people in our Mosaic community? But actually, it's one step beyond that because it's saying, think about how you can stir up other people to love. Not just so that you can love, but so that other people can love. And I want to tell you that that's actually a very, very important step to changing the culture of a church. It's not easy to change the culture of a church. But in order to change the culture of a church, not only do we have to think about what we can do, but we have to think about what we can do to help other people love. You see, that's the call here. Let us consider how to stir up other people towards love and good works. And that's a big shift in culture. It's a big shift in culture. It's a shift from the culture of the flesh to the culture of the spirit. And that's a big step. 
And I want to look at the translation here because some of you remember this verse. If you've been in the church for a while, you remember this uh, verse in the NIV before the ESV came out. And you remember that it used to say, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Remember that, some of you? And you memorized it that way. When the ESV came out, I realized I had to re-memorize all these verses because they changed all the words. But here, the ESV translators make a decision to change from spur to stir. And I think that was a great decision. Because if you think about that word, spur, the idea is the spur, you know, on the back of a cowboy boot, those spikes in a circle that you stick in the side of a horse to make the horse run. But he changes, the, the translators change it from spur to stir. And the change is from an external motivation to an internal motivation. To stir up somebody's heart is to change their internal motivations, to stir them up from the inside out. And that's actually much more accurate in what it's calling us to do to stir one another up from the inside out. And that's the call here. How can you stir up somebody else to have a genuine motivation to love from the inside out? That's the call. If you could inject through an IV intravenously into somebody's body love, that's the the idea here. So that you could stick it inside of their body and all of a sudden their heart starts racing faster and their mind sharpens and they start to move in their feet and hands towards loving other people, stirring them up from the inside out. That's the call here. How can we stir one another up towards love and good deeds? That's the call, brothers and sisters. For us, in order to make a beautiful community here at Mosaic, we need to think about that and how we can do that. If you think about that command, it's pretty disruptive. It's pretty disruptive because some of you already have Christian relationships in this church. Some of you already have Christian friendships in this church, and they're nothing like that. Some of your Christian relationships, some of your church relationships, are actually very worldly at the center. And after you hang out with those friends, your heart is not more inclined to the things of God, but actually sometimes less inclined to the things of God. Some of our Christian relationships are in that place. And you're not exactly sure what to, how to put your finger on it, but there's something that affects your heart inside of these Christian relationships that are not edifying yet. Um, I, I kind of felt like that after watching a few TV shows. I try to keep up with these TV shows that are really good, but there are a couple of shows that I watched, and I realized that after I watched them, that something about my heart changed in a negative way. And it wasn't the sex scenes, it wasn't the violence, and it wasn't those things. It wasn't even the bad language. It was something about the shows that seeped into my heart about how that show presents the world and how that show presents people's motivations, what it really means to have power and success in this world, the direction of life. There are shows that teach you about that stuff. Shows have certain worldviews on things. And I realized that after I watched these particular shows, I walked away from them feeling different. And so that after I turned off Netflix and I end that show and I try to pray, I felt like my heart had to make a big shift because that show had affected the way that I think about life. Some of your friendships are like that. That after you hang out with one of your friends, your heart is not more inclined to trust God, but your heart is more envious. That some of your hearts, after hanging out with particular friends, 
It's not moving towards faith, but it's actually moving towards judgment. And in those conversations that you have, even with your Christian friends, you're not proud of what you said. You said, you see, this passage is calling us to disrupt the relationships that we have with one another, even in the church. And that's difficult. But that's the call here, that we have to change how we relate to one another, that we are no longer to provoke one another towards the things of the world, but we are to provoke one another towards love and good works. That's the call here. And the primary way we do that, brothers and sisters, is we encourage one another. We encourage one another through our words. I want you to take a moment and think about your Christian relationships. Sure, you both believe in Christ. Yes, you bring your kids to church together. But when you speak to one another, what do you inject into each other's hearts? Insecurity because you're telling them that they're not keeping up with life? Let us not do that, but let us consider how to stir one another up towards Christ. The primary way is through encouragement. Is through encouragement. As Pastor Andre said last week, it means to literally insert courage into somebody's hearts. That through our words of encouragement to one another, that we put godliness in somebody's heart instead of greed. That we show them the beauty of grace instead of judgment. That we push them towards faith instead of a complaining heart. How many of you guys spend so much time complaining when you hang out? And you stir up what? You stir up complaining in each other. Let us provoke one another differently. Let us provoke one another to love and good works. That's the call. But secondly, to do that, brothers and sisters, is pretty complex because you're talking about people, and people are complex. And the motivation industry is like a billion-dollar industry because people are complex, and they're trying to figure out how to move people. That's why the primary call, the main call of this passage is not actually to stir up. The main impetus, the main imperative of these verses is to consider. Let's read verse 24 again. It says this. Let us consider how. That's the main command. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That is the main command to think about. You see, when you're trying to inject these things into someone intravenously, it's complex. You can't just shout at them. You can't just talk more at them. But when you want to stir someone up from the inside out, you have to find their vein. Not easy to do. Let us consider how we could strike at their heart so that they love, so that they're overjoyed with the salvation of Christ. Let us consider, mull over, think about these things. Let us consider how we can do it. Every time we meet and we gather, we need to think about how am I going to encourage this person? How am I going to lift them up so that they can look at God instead of the thing that they're worried about? Let us consider how to do this. My brothers and sisters, when you come to church on Sundays, what are you considering? What are you thinking about before you come into this place? man, I wonder how long this is going to be. I wonder if they're going to have coffee. I wonder if there's food today. What do you consider when you gather? You see, the biggest obstacle is we spend most of our time considering ourselves. 
That's the thing, right? That's the thing about our flesh is it makes us consider ourselves. In the spirit, the New Testament says, consider others better than yourselves. That's the mind of Christ. But in the flesh, we consider ourselves too much. And that's what's getting in the way of creating a beautiful community. A beautiful community where the fragrance of Christ rests. That's what's getting in the way. We don't consider others because we're considering so much of ourselves. But think about this. Imagine if hundreds of people at Mosaic took on this command and actually lived into this. If hundreds of people in our church thought about one another and how to spur one another on, better yet, stir one another up to love and good deeds. That would shift. That is a culture-changing, church-transforming mindset and heart. That's the call of Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. But we need to consider one another if we're going to do this because people are complex. It's not easy to find the vein. You know, sometimes what motivates one person to move doesn't motivate another person to move. So we have to think about one another, consider one another. How can my encouragement hit at the heart and stir up this person to love Jesus and to move towards other people? And let me tell you that some people aren't even ready for that yet. Because a lot of people grew up in homes where encouragement was very scarce. A lot of you grew up in homes that were more spurring than stirring, right? Your parents yelled at you more about grades and about your failures than they told you about how to live out a life for Christ. And so some people actually need healing before they can even be encouraged. And so some people need to be assured of the things of God before they're pressed to use their gifts. Some people need to be assured that God forgives you and separates your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. You know how hard that is to believe sometimes? That you are actually forgiven, that you are actually accepted in the gospel. Some people need to be assured that your past is not going to be your future. That's what Satan will tell you, right? You're always going to relive the past. But God is doing a new thing. He is a redeemer. And we need to encourage people to believe that. Some people just need the affirmation that their gifts are from God. Right? You guys are an incredibly gifted group of people. But some of you lack that bold spiritual affirmation that that is a gift from God to use for his kingdom and glory. Some of us need that. We need to give that to each other. But we have to consider one another. We have to take the time to think about one another if we're going to actually be effective in this. Phil Riken, he says that we have to study and implement. We have to study one another if we're going to do this. Currently, um, I'm discipling four women in their mid-20s, and they're beautiful, wonderful women in their mid-20s, but I'm discipling them. I've never discipled women in their 20s before. And so I'm thinking all the time, what are they going through? What is it like to be 25, right? And working in Manhattan, living in Jersey. What is that like? And I'm considering them all the time because I've never been a 25-year-old woman in this day and age. And so I'm thinking about what are the pressures? What are they feeling? There's so many pressures, right, on women, especially if you're 25 and you're a woman today, but I don't really understand it. And so I'm always asking God, Lord, teach me, show me how. Where's the vein for me to stir them up towards love and good deeds? My brothers and sisters, we are called to consider one another deeply like that, 
to press one another on towards these things. And if we're going to do that, we need tenacious presence. You know, if we're going to take the time to consider one another, we need to continue to meet together. I want to read the, the verses in their entirety. Read one more time with me, 24 and 25. Let me show you this. Verse 24 says, let us consider how, right? That's what we just talked about. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, as is the habit of some. Some of you guys grew up in the church and have known these verses your whole lives, but now you're just learning as we're going through the Hebrew series what the context actually is. You know that these Hebrew Christians, they have real obstacles to meeting together, right? The entire Roman society doesn't want them to meet together, and the Jewish religious institutions don't want them to meet together. Nobody wants them to meet. There's all this opposition. Some of them actually had their houses robbed. Why? Just because they're Christian. Some of them have been assaulted. Why? Just because they're Christian. And so imagine in that context how hard it is to have the habit of meeting together. And so you know what happened? A lot of these guys who started off really well meeting together, being in community, they stopped. And they formed a new habit, it says. The new habit was ignoring each other, neglecting each other, not being in the habit of meeting with one another. And my brothers and sisters, you know people like that too. Don't you know people who say, I can be Christian without community? I can be Christian without other people. That is a habit, a normative way that they do faith. You see, it says here there are two habits. There's the habit of one group of Christians who are in the habit of meeting together. And then there's this new habit of people saying, I am Christian, but I don't need to meet with people. I don't need to be in relationship with people. I can follow Jesus all by myself. And you come to church to use church as a resource, but not church as the community you love. That is the habit of some. And I've talked to people like that, and I say, you know, praise God that he's protected your faith in Jesus Christ, because the habitat that you're living in, this word habit, the habitat that you're living in, the habitat of isolation is not the natural habitat of thriving faith. It's not. Can a camel live in the rainforest? I don't know, probably, but for how long? That's not the habitat that it was made for. Can a Christian endure in isolation? Maybe, but that's not the habitat in which they were made for. And so I do tell people like that who tell me that, praise God that he's protected your faith, but don't test God. Don't test God. The habitat that he has given for thriving faith is to be in community. And some of you have to shift your habits because some of you are living in the habit of being in isolation, neglecting the community, as is the habit of some. But the Lord is calling us to build up a tenacious habit of meeting together because it's in that habitat that love and good works actually happens. Pretend that today, after you heard Jin Young's powerful testimony, after you hear this sermon, you go home and you say, you know what, I should, like, I should reach out to people who are new at Mosaic, and I should do this, and I should make friends, but like, I don't know how to start, and I don't know anybody's name, and when's Black Panther coming out again? Oh my, it came out. I should go watch Black Panther. And you know what happens to the love and good works? It dissipates. It's not stirred up into action. 
let us stir one another up towards love and good deeds. But what happens when you're in the habitat of meeting together and you get that exact same conviction from the Holy Spirit? You know, maybe I should reach out to people. You start talking about it and you talk to other people in your groups about it. You start talking to your community groups about it, your Christian friends about it. Then you know what happens? You get in a group that just like last week, I was called to meet with after service. And they gathered together and said, Pastor Dave, there are people at Mosaic that need connection. We want to make a connection team. And 10 brothers and sisters got into a room together and shared with me individually, one-on-one. Every one of them shared with me why they believe that connection team is so important here at Mosaic and how they are going to move to start to help people get connected into community. They stirred one another up to love and good works. Real action, coming together. That's what happens when you are in community. That's the habitat inside of which love and good works happens. And so he says, you got to break the habit. You got to break the habit of being in isolation. You have to come out of that into this new habit of tenacious presence with one another. You're all busy but the tenacious presence that's required of considering one another. You know, like when, when people are absent from you, you don't really think about them, right? When you, are, when you are meeting together, that's when consideration happens and that's the environment in which you do stir one another up towards love and good deeds. I'm gonna close by telling you one story um, about Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha, um, in Luke 10, Jesus comes to visit Mary and Martha at the home, and Jesus is coming, and so Martha is preparing all the things that you need to prepare in order to bring a guest into the home, and you guys are all about to do that this week, many of you, for Thanksgiving. There's a lot to do in preparation for a guest, and so Martha is busy serving all the things that need to be done, but Mary, when Jesus gets there, Mary, from the Jewish culture especially, is a really bad host. Because Martha is doing all of this work and Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus. He's not, she's not doing anything but listening to Jesus. And Martha's getting very, very upset. But in the process of listening, you know what's happening? Mary is considering Jesus. Jesus is sharing his heart with Mary. And something very special is happening in that moment. Mary is beginning to understand Jesus. And in that moment, her heart is being stirred up towards him. And she's starting to see something that most people around Jesus could not see. That he did not come to be served by Martha. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life for many. Most people around Jesus didn't get that. But she was there listening to Jesus, and she realized maybe there are probably moments in that dinner where she felt like, I should probably go help Martha. But then as she's listening to Jesus, she realizes, you know what, that's not the vein. To serve him food and to make him comfortable is not the vein that's going to stir him up towards what God is calling him to do. God is calling him to go to the cross. Making him food is not it. And that's why Jesus says to Martha, you see, don't you see, Mary has chosen the good portion. I don't think that just means that Mary is a good listener. 
She's found something that Martha has not found in serving Jesus. She's found my vein. She's found it. She has chosen the good portion. But at the end of the story, in Luke 10, from a Jewish perspective, Mary still didn't do a good job serving him. She didn't do anything. She didn't consider him. Except she did. I imagine after this, she went home and she thought about how to serve Jesus Christ and how to help him, to press him on towards good works. And then it says that right before Jesus died, he comes back to Bethany. All this time, Mary has not fulfilled her duty, except when Jesus comes back to Bethany, and this time, Mary would not miss her opportunity. Because in John 12, 1 to 3, let me read this to you. This is what happened. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Mary served. Of course Mary served. That's what she does. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. As Mary does this, Judas says, what a waste. What a waste. Why do this? But you know why? Because Mary found his vein. Mary knew how to stir him up towards the cross. When everybody else would stand in his way, even Peter would stand in his way as he's trying to go and accomplish God's will. And Peter stands in his way and Jesus says to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. There was one who understood how to help him go to the cross. Because in verse 7, when Judas says, what a waste, why does she do this? In verse 7, Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone, for she intended to keep it for the day of my burial. You know what that means? She thought about this. She's the only one that understands. I have to die. She's the only one helping me. She's the only one helping me towards love and good works. She has intended for this. She listened to me. She considered me. And she was stirred up in her heart. And she said, this is how I will love him. I will pour out costly perfume upon him. I will encourage him to go to the cross. And it says that as she did that, a beautiful fragrance filled the house. Beautiful fragrance filled the house. My brothers and sisters, the Lord is calling us to consider one another, to listen to one another, to be tenaciously present with one another as Mary was at the feet of Jesus. And in doing so, he'll lead us to stir one another up towards loving good deeds. And when we do, Mosaic will be filled with the fragrance of Christ and our church will be beautiful too. Let's pray.